Welcome to Truth Culture Life. I am Royce Hood, and uh, thank you so much for listening to this show. All right, so uh, in a few minutes, we'll have special guest Mary Jane uh, Zuzolo. I may be pronouncing that wrong. She is the great, great, great niece of Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, a French Carmelite who received approved revelations from Christ to initiate the Holy Face devotion. So stay tuned for that coming up uh, in just a few minutes. But in um, adoration earlier this week, I was just kind of cracking open um, the, the readings and looked ahead for this coming weekend. And um, I can't remember if it was this weekend's reading or not. Well, I guess we'll find out on Sunday. Anyway, I was just kind of flipping through and you know looking at different passages and different readings. Um, and I came across the um, the Ten Commandments, but the long form, you know, so much of the time, like on social media, we see memes of the Ten Commandments and it's just like the bullet points, you know, a sentence, you know, the long form is really interesting as well. Um, and so I thought I'd, you know, I, I was thinking about it, I read it through and it's just so impressive, um, the guidance. I mean, I've been saying for a long time that some of the biggest problems we have in this world right now are the fact that people have just completely turned away from God. Never mind Christians not being properly catechized. Never mind the schisms in the church and so forth that have led to, you know, what thousands of branches of Christianity now, which are all downstream Catholic, by the way. But the Ten Commandments. So here's the first one. We'll just focus on that primarily for this episode. And next episode, I'll go into more detail on the long form and some analysis of the other Ten Commandments as well. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. You shall not have other gods besides me. You shall not carve idols for yourself in the shape of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down before them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment for their father's wickedness on the children of those who hate me down to the third and fourth generations, but bestowing mercy down to the thousandth generation on the children of those who love me and keep my commandments. Whoa. Listen to that. Think about our world. You know, I'm not a theologian by any stretch. I'm just a, a lay guy doing my best. But I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment for their father's wickedness on the children of those who hate me down to the third and fourth generations. I think about that. Think about all the godlessness in this world right now. All the children running around that are completely confused and been completely lied to. You know, think about how, you know, when, when did people start turning away from God? I mean, it's a fallen world, right? It's, but where are we at now? And it's interesting. I, I wonder, you know, as a generation now, I, I read somewhere the other day that 30% of children, I don't know what state this was in, if this is across the board and you can't trust everything you read on social media, but something like 30% of college students now identify as trans or binary, non-binary, 
what? So you're telling me three out of 10 kids are suddenly trans or non-binary? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but they've been raised in a godless world. They've been raised in godless homes for the most part. Maybe they, you know, I, I actually know a few people that are struggling right now with children that have just fallen away from the faith and they're very holy people, but their children were indoctrinated in school, indoctrinated at college, indoctrinated on social media, uh, through entertainment, through peer pressure and so forth. You know, and I was thinking about recently the deliverance prayers. Um, sidebar for a second. I am recording this uh, over what I recorded the other day. Right as I started talking about deliverance prayers, and this has happened before, all of a sudden the gear that I use starts to malfunction. And you can't hear it, but you'll hear my voice. I, there's a noise that comes up into my headphones that apparently you can't hear on your end, but I can hear in my monitor. And this has happened before. It happens later in the episode as well when we start talking about deliverance prayers. So take note. Oh, you hear that noise? I don't know if that means it's a... Uh... <laughs> yeah. A little bit off subject here, but there's a cool song playing in the background. Yeah, I'm going to turn that down. Um, I've got this Rodecaster device that has all these... Uh, um, buttons that you can press with pre-synced sound effects and different things. And I must have been traveling with it without the proper case because for some reason, every now and then, one of the little buttons just randomly turns on. Maybe it's spiritual warfare. Yeah, because I was just about to talk about the Deliverance Prayers book um, by Father Ripiger. Um, In that book, there is a prayer against familial curses. And, you know, sins of the father, sins of the mother, going back generational, you know, generational um, demonic influence. And think about that. Uh, what, what doors did our family ancestors open? Did they invite or provide authority to some dark, you know, darkness that is affecting us today? So those deliverance prayers are a great resource and something to check out. So that's a wrap on my first segment that, you know, I see there, there's a strong correlation between falling away from the Ten Commandments, turning away from God, and the need for deliverance prayers in our world. I was just at a Chesterton Academy dinner in Peoria last night, and uh, Dr. Russell, the headmaster for Chesterton in Peoria, said something very profound and so beautiful to the students. If you want to change the culture, you have to become saints. So think about that. We will continue next week with more analysis of the Ten Commandments, and I talk about it a little bit in the next segment as well. But here's our our special guest. All right, welcome back to Truth Culture Life. I'm Royce Hood, and thank you again for listening to us. Um, Sort of in my intro monologue, I was talking a little bit about um, sort of like familial issues that people could have and with their family and some deliverance prayers that I've read recently that are available for that just to sort of protect yourself. And, but on the other side of that is like, it's not always bad, a bad thing necessarily. Like, so I'm going to introduce our guest, Mary Jane Zuzolo, who has just an incredible lineage. She is the great, great, great niece of sister Marie de Saint Pierre. Uh, did I say that right? Yes, you did. And so uh, I was looking at Father Ripiger's um, deliverance prayers. And in that book, there's a a prayer for like familial, um, I don't know, just familial. I don't want to say curses, but I think it's how it's listed in there. 
Um, you know, <laughs> our ancestors may have opened the door to demonic oppression or whatever based on their sins and like can that affect us down the road you've got like the opposite end of that spectrum the fact that you've got this incredible sister in your family who um the Fr french carmelite received approved revelations from christ to initiate the holy face devotion so wow that is like amazing well, I, I always say that virtue is not hereditary, <laughs> but I get what you're saying and I get what father was saying. Um, you know, I hope a little bit has trickled down. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, virtue uh, may not be hereditary, but but perhaps in some instances vice could be. Um, that's uh, it, it's hard to know. I guess it just uh, <laughs> do the best we can and uh, go from there. So, yeah. Um, so you've got a new book coming out on the Feast of St. Joseph unveiling the sixth station of the cross rep uh, reparation to the holy face mother of all devotions tell us a little bit about your book about you we want to hear everything sure uh i live in kansas i am, have been married 30 years we have five children and uh so it, it was a very slow process to decide to write the book uh, you know, growing up, uh, Sister St. Pierre, that's what her family called her. And that's what her sisters in Carmel, Carmel called her, you know, kind of just truncated her name. I think there were a lot of Sister Marys of such and such. And so anyway, that's what I'll be referring to her as today. But uh, yeah, she was a household name, but we weren't aware of very many writings about her. Um, it wasn't until my grandfather passed away that we realized he had uh, kept everything that had been handed down from uh, the brother of Sister St. Pierre, who had immigrated to America about the same time she entered Carmel. And so that that was my great, great grandfather. And uh, a number of things had been given to him by the Carmelites. Uh, uh, you know, the, the first uh, English edition of her biography and then Everything else was in French, but uh, there is inscribed on, on that biography, you know, that that's from the Carmelites. That one actually was from New Orleans because they had uh, translated that edition. And there uh, were a couple, we'll call them mementos of Sister St. Pierre. She's not a saint yet, so they're technically not relics. One, you probably can't see behind me, but it's a tiny, like, uh, a circle in a square frame there next to the image of Christ. And, and, you know, kind of near Mary's uh, statue, but that's made of her hair and clothing. And you know, it, there was a number of things there that uh, were just very special. And uh, this was before the time of the internet. So, you know, my mother didn't want me to use that, um, that special inscribed biography. So it took a little while to trace down the, um, you know, another version, uh, but, but my husband was able to find one. And then that kind of set us on the journey of just really, um, you know, researching and reflecting on that initial biography. And then of course we were at some point we're aware of like the, the golden arrow that had been published in the fifties. That was uh, kind of like a truncated um, summary of the devotion. And uh, you know, I guess at some point I just uh, realized that it's, not only the extreme relevance of the devotion, because, for example, one of the main thrusts is that uh, it is use—it uh, is to be used as spiritual armament in the defeat of communism. It makes it a sister devotion to Fatima. It came before, and they, they kind of work together very much. Um, you know, so it, realizing the extreme relevance, especially in recent years, but 
But then all the, also the frustration that no one knows about this, even though uh, connected to the devotion um, was Leo, uh, venerable Leo de Ponce, working of thousands of miracles, uh, and, and you know so much so that Pius IX referred to him as, quote, perhaps the greatest miracle worker in church history. And, and I think no one knows about this, and this is kind of shocking. And, and when I began telling people about it, they, they just didn't even believe me. And so I guess that, you know, that was kind of my initial impetus was just to reintroduce the devotion um, and, and bring out that relevance. But, uh, you know, thankfully, in the last couple of years, especially, there's a lot of great information on the Internet. There have been some books uh, self-published, and then like Father Carney has his book. I wrote the foreword for that. Uh, his is called Secret of the Holy Face. And, you know, so there's more information out there, but there's still the need for like a deep analysis of her of her spirituality, which is, I guess, that that's what came to light, was that this is not just a collection of prayers. This is a spirituality designed by God himself to... Um, you know, to, for the modern era, specifically for our era, to bring men back to proper love and reverence of him. Um, you know, it's, it, it is a way to sort of heal the, the ills of our time, which are not just communism, but modernism and the postmodernisms and, and so forth that work together. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, Pius the Ninth again, he, he had another quote, uh, it was the devotion destined to save society. And uh, Christ reveals in the revelations uh, that blasphemy wounds his heart more than any other crime. And so this, this devotion is to make reparation specifically for um, offenses against the first three commandments, which of course outline the rights of God. And so it's not um, per se, just for those, you know, sins of, of weakness, uh, um, or you know, men kind of falling into sinfulness through weakness, but you know, the 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 direct attack against God, the overt desire to to go against God, and you know, this this can take many different forms, and and again, they're outlined in the first three commandments, but um, you know, we we've seen them really manifest in our faces so much as. Uh, in, in current times is modernism and communism. And, um, you know, the, I think that, and, you know, we, we can talk about modernism and the postmodernisms. It's, um, you know, man, either doubting or rejecting God's laws to the point of making his own. And uh, I don't know if, if you want me to go on or if you have another question, but I, you know, could talk a little bit more about the generals of the devotion but. Yeah, no, I, I, it's so interesting to me, like in the opening monologue, I just sort of described briefly how this week I was sitting in adoration and I was flipping over, uh, flipping open the, um, the readings, uh, you know, from the readings book, uh, the, the missile, I guess, um, I'm terrible with terminology on stuff. So forgive me. But anyway, I was sitting there, you know, just flipping through and I came across the 10 commandments. And so I opened, literally opened the show with reading the long form of the first commandment, which is not something you see very often. Um, and it talks about, you know, one, one of the lines that popped out at me, which I was sort of talking to you about briefly was, you know, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment for their father's wickedness on the children of those who hate me down to the third and fourth generations, but bestowing mercy down to the thousandth 
generation, on the children of those who love me and keep my commandments. I just think it's fascinating that you go into that uh, with your with your opening comments uh, about your book. And I just want to say, you know, the second one is you were talking about the first three. Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not leave unpunished the ones who takes his name in vain. So much of the time that second part is left out. It just don't take the Lord's name in vain, but we don't read. We don't see in all the memes and all the posts that are out there about the 10 commandments uh, or the Lord will not leave unpunished the ones who take his name in vain. And then finally, you know, keep, keep the holy day holy. Right. Uh, and there's a long form for that one as well. And I think about like the, the generation of our moral fabric in society and in many ways for me, like I'm a big entertainment guy. I love movies and music and different things. And you look back at films and there was a period of time where you never heard the Lord's name in vain. And then all of a sudden it's like in every movie, in every line, even in like PG movies, you know, exclamation. Oh, oh my, you know, and something happens and the character, you know, exclaims God. And he's not praying. And that's like a, a little thing, but it's so big because it waters down it waters down these commandments. And of course now commandments aren't even at our courthouses or schools anymore. So keep going. I, I love everything you're talking about. I feel like it's so incredibly um, providential and relevant to what I was talking about without even knowing. So please continue. Get uh, Let's get into the the thick of, of what you're uh, hoping to do with this book. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, well, you know, just relating to what you were saying uh, the in the Old Testament, it's full of examples of of men, you know, falling into idolatry and irreverence to God, and and then realizing, okay, the the way out is reparation, and it's it's the way to turn God's face back toward us, so to speak, to receive His blessing again. And uh, so, you know, but okay, I guess I I want to say God has uh, given us that same remedy, or is reminding us of that. But at the same time. He, Christ said iniquity has never reached such a degree. And uh, some of what bothers him the most is um, kind of deep rooted uh, impiety and what he calls absolute incredulity. And again, you know, men doubting or rejecting him on various levels. And uh, I think that, it, that this devotion uh, was timely. It was given just after the French Revolution. And, you know, that sort of... Um, it, it debuted the uh, the blasphemy uh, uh, of the thought that went back clear to the Enlightenment, and you know, with the Enlightenment, we we had men embracing rationalism, where uh, you know they decided we we don't need the immutable truth of God as pre preserved in the uh, in natural law and the commandments and in the church. You know, we we can use our reason, we can argue our way to figure out what is true and what is moral. And, you know, that opened the door to uh, what Pius X referred to as the um, the synthesis of all heresies, which is modernism. And, and that, uh, you know, there's so many things wrong with that <laughs> ideology for, I think he, you know, called out uh, that it, it does have um, the desire to infiltrate from within to kind of destroy uh, Christian thinking and and that is something that communism shares with it but anyway it uh, modernism you know took this thinking of um rationalism and naturalism to another step of oh well you know truth is is fluid it's in flux and uh you know our own emotions can even decide what is true and and moral and then 
now we're probably more familiar with moral relativism and it's everybody's deciding oh there is no one truth or morality you know i have my truth you have yours and and that kind of thinking and then finally uh wokeism i would say in many ways just turns it all on its head it's it's like an inverse truth and morality uh, um from what has been set forth by god and um you know i'm i'm always reminded of in isaiah you know woe to those that call good evil and evil good and so, you know, this is this is kind of like a, a big package, you know, going along with with communism too. Uh, you know, you know, I know in Fatima, Our Lady warned of the evils of of Russia or the the errors of Russia. Sorry, um, and and you know, I think people have understood that that's not just communism, but kind of this whole big package that goes along with it. This thinking. Um, but again, you know, communism, it, it is overtly anti-God. It, it, it uh, you know, destroys the image of God in man. It wants to destroy the nuclear family. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the basis of certainly Christian society. And I would say all societies should be the, the basis. Um, and, you know, Marx and, and um, Lenin, they had quotes that just, they were unabashed about it. They were, they were proud, you know, communism begins from the outset with atheism and um, uh, Lenin, you know, said something to the fact that uh, it abolishes um, eternal truths and all religion and morality. And um, so, you know, we're, we're sort of like the Old Testament Israelites. We're being allowed to just experience the natural consequences of our choices to embrace these ideologies. And so, um, you know, let's, Hold on. Let me stop you there. We got to jump into a commercial break before we oh, go too sure. much further. Try to remember where you just left off because okay. it's uh, such incredible information. And um, we'll we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. So you're listening to Truth Culture Life. Wow, what a cool episode. Thank you so much for listening at Catholic Spirit Radio. We will be right back with more from uh, Mary Jane Zuzolo. Stay with us. Hi, this is John Hall, president of Catholic Spirit Radio. Do you enjoy our programming? Well, we need your support to keep the programming at Catholic Spirit Radio on the air. If you already give, thank you. We appreciate your help. If you haven't given, we need your help now. To donate, go online at catholicspiritradio.com. That's catholicspiritradio.com. Or mail your donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Or stop by 108 Boykins Place. God bless you, and thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio. Treaking Gifts has sacramental and seasonal gifts, religious medals, rosaries, and more on the College Avenue Epiphany Church campus in Normal. Three Kings Gifts is open 10 to 3.30 on Thursday and Friday, 8 to 1 on Sunday. Profits help charitable organizations. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. 
Chicago radio personality Kevin Matthews found a broken statue of the Virgin Mary by a dumpster. His life was changed forever. Join us at Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Bloomington on Saturday, March 23rd to hear Kevin's life-changing Broken Mary story. Doors open at 11 with a light lunch available at 11.30. This free event starts at 12.30, book signing afterwards. Register on the Holy Trinity website under the Grow in Faith tab or call us at 309-829-2197. If you have some extra time, put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If you're interested, call the station. 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas. Rockford, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. Welcome back to Truth Culture Life. I am Royce Hood. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, for those just tuning in, we are joined by a special guest, Mary Jane Zuzolo, who is the great, great, great niece of Sister Marie de Saint-Pierre, the French Carmelite who, who received approved revelations from Christ to initiate the Holy Face devotion. And she has a new book coming out, uh, Unveiling the Six Stations of the Cross, which is the short title of it anyway. comes out March 19th. You can go to sophiainstitute.com and pre-order that book, uh, Unveiling the Six Station of the Cross, Reparation to the Holy Face mother of all devotions. And we were just talking about everything from communism to the Ten Commandments to wokeism and, and everything else. So Mary Jane, uh, take it away. Sure. Okay. Um, so we were kind of mentioning that um, we are being allowed by God, much like the Israelites in the Old Testament, to just experience the natural consequences of our embracing these ideologies. And, uh, you know, so so Christ is calling out these ideologies and, and socioeconomic systems, whatever they may be, uh, as not only a great offense to him and something which requires our uh, efforts of reparation, uh, but also a, an allowed chastisement. Uh, you know, he, he explains that, uh, that the, you know, a merciful chastisement to, you know, sort of wake people up and call them back to, to him is uh, not only something that may take place through the natural elements, but through the, the quote, malice of revolutionary men. And interesting, this, this is the one devotion that is, um, you, you know, a, a safeguard against that. Uh, that is, um, you know, part of the design of the devotion. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's a great remedy even on that level. But of course, you know, the, the main, idea is to um, to have us sort of selflessly, uh, you know, use a means that God has provided to um, to be co-redeemers in Christ, you know, through Christ. Um, and in fact, uh, in the devotion, 
we are not even using our own merits and love as offerings to God, but those of Christ that are sort of um, in, in case, so to speak, in his wounded countenance, um, you know, he, he reveals that, uh, that the current blasphemies renew the injuries to his face. And so this is uh, something that, you know, makes the, the example of Veronica very, very apt for us. Uh, you know, she braved the crowds and, and the soldiers and just for a moment, it totally selflessly offered consolation to Christ. She wanted nothing in return. Uh, and yet it, in recompense, he did give her that enormous uh, gift of the exact likeness being imprinted, so to speak, on the veil. And, uh, and he, he promises a, a similar thing to us today. He says that in, in um, recompense for these acts of reparation to console his wounded face, that uh, he will imprint the likeness of his countenance on our souls. And so even though we're selflessly offering his face to the Father to make reparation for these current sins of blasphemy and, you know, therefore drawing down graces and mercy that, you know, flow through Mary um, and, and, you know, it's, it's very selfless for our neighbor. In, in the process, we are helping ourselves as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's true of in the promises of the devotion and we can kind of see in hindsight how, how much the devotion uh, sets the stage for the spirituality of St. Therese. They are extremely complimentary and really it caps the insights of some of the most important insights of the whole Carmelite mystical tradition. Uh, I know that uh, St. Therese had a dream one time of St. Anne who was a great friend of both John the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, who, you know, they were the great reformers of Carmel, uh, that, you know, in the dream, St. Anne said, you're, you're thinking, St. Therese, this is, uh, is very much in line with um, the Carmelite tradition. And kind of similarly, before um, uh, Sister St. Pierre had had a vision of St. Teresa of Avila, who came to her as a uh, protectress of the devotion. And, and she told um, Sister St. Pierre that the devotion would be the honor of Carmel. And so I think that that is like so much in this devotion is all the more amazing when viewed in hindsight through the perspective of, you know, things that have happened since, because now we have not only, um, you know, the, the several saints in Carmel, but I think three doctors and yet None of them were the honor, but this devotion was the honor of Carmel. Do you think, um, where, where is, is there a cause of canonization for Sister uh, Marie de Saint-Pierre? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I know in some of the writings that were sent to my great-great-grandfather that they were asking for, um, you know, any sort of mementos or, or stories about her uh, that he was supposed to send uh, so that they could start the cause and that would, you know, be just a, a help for them. This is the Carmelites, I should say, we're asking for this. And um, my, I know my grandfather did send something because I saw another letter that said, oh, thank you for sending these things. And then, you know, it's sort of a mysterious um, a silence. And I, I think there, there may be a lot to that. That was a very um, 
a very anti-clerical period in, in the church. And I think that anything that was seen as too new or novel, um, you know, what they just they just didn't go there, I suppose, uh, as readily as as they would maybe at other times. Um, it I, I have my theories about some other things that may have been going on that uh, would have made them a little nervous to to uh, get all the archives out. Um, and maybe we won't go there today, but uh, yeah, anyway. it's, it's an interesting um, topic be because uh, I mean, like, like I, I don't know if you're familiar with Sister Wilhelmina Lancaster out of Gower, Missouri, the foundress of the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles. Mm -hmm. You know, so alleged incorruptibility, which I've I've seen the body. I believe 100% she's incorrupt. And I, what I learned was like, okay, wow, like that's that's amazing. Um, they can't start the canonization process for five years after the death. And then incorruptibility is no longer a miracle sufficient enough for canonization. You need two miracles related to third parties. So related to her intercession after her death. And um, I just think it's interesting, like, you know, because we have approved uh, revelations from Christ to initiate the Holy Face devotion. But maybe that's not enough. We I know. And uh, yes, I mean, and they were approved in such a, um, a a startling way. They were immediately approved for the whole world by Leo the Thirteenth. And normally it's a very gradual process that takes a long time. Um, I will go ahead and, and just say I, I hesitate to mention Marie Julie Jehenny because I, I don't know. I thought that she at least had her bishop's approval for some of her revelations. She came after Sister St. Pierre. But I, I just I, I need to look into that. But anyway, I do know that she uh, she was told that Sister St. Pierre would become a, a great stone in the altar, so to speak. So meaning a great um, saint, but it would be after the time of tribulation. And so I think that 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 may be one thing. And there, there's a couple other things I've thought about. But I do know that um, Father uh, Lawrence Carney is is going to go to tour, I think, in May. And um you know, if there's not a Carmelite community that is uh, willing to come forward to either reinitiate her cause or initiate it, whatever the case may be, um, a relative can do that. And so, you know, perhaps at some point that would be something down the road that um, maybe a group of people could look into. And, you know, I could be that token relative. <laughs> no, that would be neat to do, um, even to see you know, because I really haven't heard from her. I've certainly heard of the um, the Holy Face devotion, but I knew nothing of its origin. And mm -hmm. I have to admit, I know very little about this sister. Um, and it, it, you know, makes me think, like, I don't know that I necessarily want to be the guy that does it, but somebody needs to do a documentary on her. If, you know, in, in an update and maybe based in part on the book that you've got. Um, I'm working, everybody that listens to this program knows I'm working on a film called Incorruptible right now about Sister Wilhelmina. And it, it was funny when I agreed to do it, um, which basically means like directing it and executive producing it. It was like, oh yeah, I can do that. I had no idea how much work was actually going to be involved. Like it's incredible how much goes into it. But I think about, about her and the fact that you've got approved revelations um, and Wow, like the a film, in my opinion, if you were to consider doing something like just start documenting certain things like this interview. And if you do that pilgrimage, document that, you know, take a little GoPro, take, you know, some video with your phone and start putting together a little archive of things that you could use. Because I think the more people hear 
about her. It's just so her, her life just looks so incredibly fascinating. The fact, you know, that she really wasn't born that long ago, uh, mm -hmm. born, uh, October 4th, 1816. Um, wow. Like just such a neat story. So please, uh, please continue. And, and what are you hoping, uh, Mary Jane, like what, what is your goal with this book? Okay. Uh, uh, first I, I will say that, um, Hopefully there's a documentary in, in the works. I, I know someone that is actively working on that. I think they're also working with Sophia to perhaps uh, release that. And so that's very good news. And I, I agree. I think that uh, more information needs to be uh, forthcoming about her life in particular. And, and that is one of the main goals of my book. Um, you know, I mentioned that I go back to the original biographies and uh, there's two that are very similar. They're, they're by the same um, priest, but they, they really delved into her spiritual life after she entered Carmel, not just before, uh, and, and give the, again, the full context of the, the revelations or the messages given to her by Christ. And her mystical life really, uh, in my mind, uh, is like a whole set of revelations. And it's in the toward the end of her life. It, it focused so much on Mary. It's actually a very Marian devotion, and you know Christ uh, bestowed that honor upon Mary of giving it to mankind, and He made clear that all the uh, uh, the grace and mercy flowing from the devotion comes through her, and uh, you know He even gave her a new title, Our Lady of the Holy Name of God. But anyway, uh, you know, back to what I hope to accomplish. In the book, that that is certainly uh, a big part, and uh, I, I kind of, you know, just give like an overall context. Even going back to the Old Testament, uh, it it really seems that the devotion was prefigured in the Book of Job, and you know, I outline um, that. You know, there's there's. Can so you give many us an parallels. example of that? I read that. I, can you give us an sure. example? Okay, well, the, the most basic and maybe obvious example to people would be the fact that you know Job's friends they they were not favored by God and and even though Job had made some mistakes he he did um, atone for them and so God so favored Job over his friends that he said okay the friends must offer your face meaning Job's face rather than their own in making atonement and so we're like both Job and the friends we we um you know, we're like the friends that we're, we're in a sense not worthy to offer our own faces to God in reparation. We're, these are such grievous offenses or grievous offenses that, um, you know, we need to rely on the merits and love that are in Christ's face. And so that that is, you know, it's kind of an offering of of God to God. It, it needs that kind of power. And so that's that's the one sense. But we're also like Job because we are offering Christ's face in reparation on behalf of our friends, on behalf of our, of our brethren. Um, but there's, there's, it's really fascinating. Uh, so many of the basics of the devotion uh, are, are paralleled to life events in, in Job's life. And um, I, I go through those in the introduction because it, it's such a great way to introduce the whole devotion and various, um, various elements of that. Uh, you know, I, I it's kind of hard to, to start getting into each of those, but uh, you know, just even we'll we'll go with the first one. The the fact that um, of all the evils that uh, Satan could hope to tempt Job to commit, he chose blasphemy. 
And interestingly, in the um, revelations, Christ reveals that Satan willingly delegates the other sins, uh, categories of sins to other demons, but uh, those of blasphemy he keeps to himself. And so that that really highlights the the, the true offense that blasphemy is that, you know, that is the uh, signature sin of Satan. And uh, so that that's just one example, which I talk about the the wife tempting Job to curse God and die and his um, his leprosy. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a couple others, but, you know, in the end, he he's rewarded with twice all his previous possessions. He has more children. And that's kind of like our reward at the end. And, uh, you know, the, the promises of the devotion are, uh, they, they exceed any other set of promises for the other devotions. And that's one way we know, besides the fact that Christ just tells us that this is the, quote, highest devotion. You know, we can figure it out by the miracles and by the promises. You know, those are kinds of uh, ways that he can show us the importance of the devotion. Um, yeah, I was, I was wondering about that, you know, with with respect to like the divine mercy and, you know, the promises that go with that are can you um, and you've already talked about this a little bit, but uh, any prominent examples of uh, leaders in the church, saints, whoever that uh, have had a devotion to the holy uh, face? Well, yes, I mean, there there have been many, I would say, leading up to this uh, devotion but th this is kind of um, you know a unique take on the face. It, this devotion reveals the the power of the wounded countenance, really as never before. Um, and so you know that we have all these you know there's a number of saints, uh, Gertrude and, and different ones that had a devotion to the holy face. Um, and then we have the holy face devotion sort of revealing for the first time this this power encased in, in the wounded face of Christ. And then, you know, I have to talk about St. Therese in, in the book. I, I spend about 40 some pages talking about the extreme um, complementary nature of her devotion with the Holy Face. And this is interesting because uh, there, there had been some mention of this, say, in the 1950s and before, you know, they, they don't go into the detail that I go into, um, probably, again, because I'm, I'm looking at it more in hindsight, and there, there's more to observe. Uh, but it, it, it's just interesting. Not only did the devotion fall off, or I should say it, it went into obscurity at about the same time, you know, just after the 1950s. And, and that was also the time period in which, um, you know, for some reason, people don't even, didn't even mention the fact that St. Therese of Lisieux's full name was of the child Jesus and the Holy Face. And, you know, there's all this evidence that she she was just really immersed in the, the spirituality of the devotion and and so forth, which can only add to the beauty and depth of her uh, spirituality. But uh, again, I think we can rely a little bit on the revelations to give us a clue of what was going on. You know, uh, Christ said that Satan would do everything in his power to stamp out the devotion. And. Yeah, I have to wonder, it seems like when it was really starting to be needed at a whole new level, that's when it, um, it, it just seemed to fall into obscurity until, again, thankfully, the last couple, three years, I think people have really uh, been more uh, in tune with it and know about it a little bit more. 
Um, so let's do this. Let's take one more quick break. And if you can stick around, I want, I've got a couple of follow-up questions I want to ask you based on what you just said. So sure. uh, you're listening to Truth Culture Life at Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm Royce Hood, and we are joined by Mary Jane Zuzolo. We're almost uh, done, but we've got one more segment. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Give praise to the Lord. Hi, this is John Hall, president of Catholic Spirit Radio. Do you enjoy our programming? Well, we need your support to keep the programming at Catholic Spirit Radio on the air. If you already give, thank you. We appreciate your help. If you haven't given, we need your help now. To donate, go online at catholicspiritradio.com. That's catholicspiritradio.com. Or mail your donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Or stop by 108 Boykins Place. God bless you and thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio. Three Kings Gifts has sacramental and seasonal gifts, religious medals, rosaries, and more on the College Avenue Epiphany Church campus in Normal. Three Kings Gifts is open 10 to 3.30 on Thursday and Friday, 8 to 1 on Sunday. Profits help charitable organizations. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to catholicspiritradio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. Chicago radio personality Kevin Matthews found a broken statue of the Virgin Mary by a dumpster. His life was changed forever. Join us at Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Bloomington on Saturday, March 23rd to hear Kevin's life-changing Broken Mary story. Doors open at 11 with a light lunch available at 11.30. This free event starts at 12.30, book signing afterwards. Register on the Holy Trinity website under the Grow in Faith tab or call us at 309-829-2197. If you have some extra time, put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If you're interested, call the station. 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas. Rockford, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. Welcome back to Truth Culture Life at Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm Royce Hood. It's so great to be with you. Um, if you haven't already done so, be sure to download the Catholic Spirit Radio app at catholicspiritradio.com. And also be sure to follow me on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. Just look for Royce Hood, and I'd love to talk to you on there. So, all right, we are joined by a special guest, Mary Jane Zuzolo, and uh, she's telling us all about devotion to the Holy Face, and she's the uh, author of the new book that comes out March 19th. So we'll post a link um, on social media for that as well. But... Um, uh, Mary Jane, I wanted to ask you a little bit. Well, first of all, a couple of questions that popped in my head. I'm just going to shoot those off. You don't have to answer them in order, but um, I, I'm looking at the image of the Holy Face. And 
I was wondering for our listeners who can't see it, um, you know, what, what your, how would you describe it? And um, you can, you can get into this in a second. I'm just going to hit, hit the questions that I had. The other thing I started thinking about is we had a, a gentleman that had spent something like 40 years forensically studying the shroud of Torin. It was a fascinating conversation. And I, I look, okay. And I, I, I look at the Holy face um, image and I, for some reason I start thinking about like the image from the shroud of Torn. And I'm wondering, has there ever been a, any sort of like diagnostic uh, comparison between the two? Cause it, I mean, maybe not. Um, and then the last question I was thinking was spiritual attacks. You know, Satan doesn't want this to get out. What did you go through in preparation for this book? I'm sure you've got some stories. So take any one of those that you want and uh, I'd love to hear what you think. Okay. Uh, first of all, I've had the same thought. I, I think that, uh, you know, I know with the Shroud of Turin, there was a, sort of a, uh, some sort of diagnostic comparison between the uh, Divine Mercy image and the Shroud. And I think they ought to do one on the, the Holy Face, this miraculous image um, behind me. Briefly, uh, that is a result of uh, what is kind of referred to as the miracle of the Vatican. It was in 1849. It was just six months after uh, Sister St. Pierre passed away. And the, um, you know, it was right after the second French Re Revolution, which even affected, you know, the Vatican and other parts of Europe. And so the, the Pope had to flee for safety. And he asked that the Veronica Vale image uh, which had been preserved through the years, uh, be on display as it was from time to time uh, to ask special prayers of reparation and you know assistance during this this troubled time. And so, this is the last sidebar. I don't usually do this when I record or and produce this program, but it's worth noting that right here we had to cut audio because again we had another. Uh, technical glitch, but this time on Mary Jane's side. So I just find that really interesting, most likely just a coincidence, but nonetheless, it's good to be mindful of the spiritual warfare around us. And uh, if the devil doesn't like what you're doing, maybe it's a good thing to double down. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, regarding the image behind me, the, the wounded holy face of Christ, which most people associate with the devotion and, and really should be associated with it. Uh, that is from the miracle of the Vatican um, that happened in 1849. It was uh, only just say six months after the death of Sister St. Pierre. And uh, it was during the time of the, um, the the second French Revolution, which had sort of rocked all of Europe and the Vatican. And the Pope himself had to flee for safety. And uh, so he asked that Veronica's veil be revealed, uh, exhibited to the public uh, to offer prayers of reparation and, and assistance during this time. And... Uh, 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 during the third day of the ex, uh, exhibition, there was this three-hour period when the image, which is normally, you know, very faded and you can't even really distinguish the features, uh, it, it became miraculously enlivened. And people could could see this wounded countenance in a very crisp fashion and, and almost, like I said, in a lively way. And uh, so the, the canons of the Vatican were called in. 
uh, and they rang the bells and a notary notarized what was going on and people were asked to draw what they saw. And then uh, these images were uh, engraved and, um, and, and copies were made and they were all touched to the uh, original Veronica Vale, the Lance of Longinus and a true relic of the cross. And they were given out mostly, I think, to convents in the beginning, but Venerable DuPont did receive one. And uh, it was, it was. you can't see, I, ha I have an oil lamp burning in front of the image, just like he did. And he eventually realized that using the oil from that lamp and prayers consistent with the devotion, because the devotion had not yet been approved, uh, he, that's how he was able to perform all those miracles. And um, so, yes, let's see. We, ha yeah. we had a little well, yeah, it's it's funny. Um, we were talking about you know spiritual attacks. Satan does not want devotion to the holy face to be promoted. Um, and then right as we were talking, we your your uh, audio crashed basically, and we lost you, so you came back in. So thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and to our listeners, this is not uncommon. We had Father uh, Carlos Martins on to talk about the Exorcist files, and we had just all sorts of crazy technical glitches that like never happen any other time. Um, and and so I'm curious about you. I know there's more that you want to say, but did you experience any doubts or hesitations or anything uh, even diabolical as you were preparing to write and and release this book? Oh yes, uh, I in the beginning. Um, I, I had a, a very strange experience and I won't go into detail, but it left me feeling that uh, there, there was the threat that my family would be attacked if I would, if I would go on and, uh, and pursue this goal. And, and I do think uh, on many levels um, it was, and yet, uh, you know, one of the promises of the devotion is that it, it the practice of, you know, making these offerings of reparation using the face again, you know, it is the greatest source of grace second to the sacraments. So uh, at the same time, you know, it, the, the, the practice of the devotion and, and, you know, teaching my children more about it, teaching my husband and, you know, he's been totally supportive. I couldn't do this without him. Um, it, it has, you know, offered us great grace and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, comfortable uh, public speaking, I would say I'm much more comfortable, you know, writing. Uh, and you do so such even, a great job. So uh, <laughs> I really appreciate that. So, you know, even on that level, it's, it's not uh, an easy thing. And I, I think, um, you know, like we see there's, there's sometimes you have to wonder, well, was that an attack to just, you know, have my computer just totally shut down like that. <laughs> but <laughs> so yes, you know, not to scare people. Uh, I suppose I, I can say that they're, there maybe are some hardships uh, uh, in getting this message out, but it's very much worth it, and um, I wouldn't change it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's uh, perseverance. The God never gives us more than we can handle, and um, you know, I think when you're doing something like this, sometimes you know, God's permissive will is something that Cardinal Burke has talked about before. Um, we don't always understand why certain things happen. But God permits him to happen as, as a way to, I think, for us to really honor him. And um, like, wow, like what what great work you're doing with this. And so I, I'm guessing with your reluctance to public speak, we we may not see dates anytime soon for like a, a book tour. Is that going to happen? 
Well, I I have accepted some uh, invitations to to speak, and I will do that. I, I feel like um, I'm I it, it's it's uh, expected of me, and I will do that. And it's it's a way to to help. And uh, you know, nothing in life is easy, so it's sort of fitting that somehow my least favorite thing would be needed at, <laughs> at this level. <laughs> well, maybe- Maybe we can get you to Peoria where I am, or I, I host a few events in, in different parts of the country too. It might be fun to invite you sometime to talk about the book. And um, especially when it comes out March 19th, sophiainstitute.com. I know there's more questions I asked you, uh, and I think you hit pretty much all of them. Um, and I just want to encourage our readers to, to check this out. You can also go to holyfacedevotion.org. Um, and there's links on there and some information about the book, Unveiling the Sixth Station of the Cross. Um, and uh, sophiainstitute.com, the book comes out March 19th. You can pre-order it right now. Uh, Mary Jane, we are basically out of time. I just want to thank you for joining us. And I hope that you'll come back after the book comes out and let us know how it's going. And um, yeah, uh, we wish you all the success with it. Oh, I really appreciate the invitation. And, and yes, I would happily come back. And uh, thank you. You put on a great show. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to Truth Culture Life. Um, yeah, there was a technical glitch during that last segment where uh, Mary Jane's computer just basically completely crashed and we lost her. So she, we paused and she had to come back in. So you, you may hear a little bit of a funny, um, you may have heard a little funny editing uh, thing there as we tried to splice those two parts together. But um, anyway, if you are available to join me in Naples, March 20th through the 22nd, Feel free to check out NaplesSummit.com. We'd love to see you down there. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Royce Hood signing off. My fingers for bad.